0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 141.
1: Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an
2: option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk.
0: And today we're discussing the next generation episode evolution. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to subscribe to the Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel. We should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. So we are talking about the third season. Season premiere for Next Generation. We've uh, jumped ahead a little bit. We've decided to kind of jump back and forth between first season and third season when we talk about TNG and a couple of the other uh, series, all like that, because frankly, the first couple seasons of several of these series are not so good. And we wanted to have some more.
1: They're, they're pretty painful. Yeah, more decent yeah. episodes. This episode is, is focused, of course, on Adric. I mean, Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's called Evolution. And like Evolution, it's kind of slow. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is kind of slow.
0: This one was written by Michael Pillar who eventually ends up becoming uh, a key uh, producer and in, in charge mm-hmm. of writing room on several of the series. I think Voyager, right? And or DS9. I forget which one it is.
2: Voyager. Voyager, Voyager not DS9. He worked oh, on right. DS9 but he wasn't in charge. He wasn't
0: of it. running things, that's right. And directed by Winrick Colby who is who did a lot of Star Trek episodes in various series. So uh, interesting. There, the, so this season premiere marked several big changes to the show that mm-hmm. as they started, you know, not as big, but Jordy was promoted to lieutenant commander from lieutenant, and Warf was promoted to lieutenant from lieutenant junior grade. Not as big a deal. Beverly Crusher returns to replace mm-hmm. Doctor Pulaski, which was Ooh. big, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and and forms an, an essential part of the plot of this uh, episode. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. They also have the new uniforms that replaced the the pajamas from uh, the first couple seasons, uh, which the crew, the you know the, the the cast, were very happy with because apparently the old uniforms, for some reason, they they actually caused like back pain or something. Yeah, it
2: was well, they were like, they were basically like like a, a like a spandex material, but they were very tight and very you know it would kind of stretch, and so oh. they'd be fighting against that, I suppose
0: yeah you be under constant stress to stand up straight, but apparently they cost three thousand dollars each each uniform and uh wow. so they they didn't get them to the entire crew and for a this, while i'm and, and I'm
1: sure somebody's uncle could have gotten them wholesale
2: yeah. <laughs> and and by, right. by the way this is this is when we start getting the Picard maneuver, you know the stand up and pull down the the tunic right. maneuver right that's right with, with these new pieces. uniforms
0: we also get uh new opening credits and the third and final version of the theme music so that's so this kind of was. A, a retool of the of the show at this mm-hmm. point and really from this point the show really gets its stride i mean this well, this first episode is not the best to. but right it starts <laughs> uh, to really get better
1: it it starts to get better but that's a process i mean my first <laughs> yeah. note is still haven't hit their stride as writers right and to my mind it's really not until the end of the third season that that happens
0: okay there's some good there's my recollection there are, is there are some good here, episodes. Here, yeah,
1: yeah. Here and there, there are good ones, but I don't think we get consistent delivery of decent episodes until the
2: end of the third season.
0: Okay, I, I could, I could buy that. And also, uh,
2: also, kind of, you know, to know where this is in time. This is the last whole season that Gene Ronberry is alive for, at least for the airing. Right. Because he true. died in 1991, and this aired in 1990.
0: That's right. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, this was yes. The end of the season is nineteen ninety. This episode
1: is september of eighty nine that's when it premiered but you're yep. right
0: it's the eighty nine ninety season
1: that's right so this this episode is pretty unsubtle. It involves <laughs> a couple of i mean it, it, the sort of the ostensible plot mm-hmm. is twofold There's this guy on the ship who dr. Paul Stubbs who's here to study a a super or not a supernova but a neutron star that's about to fling off some some matter. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they're here at this pair of binary stars. The other main plot is something starts going wrong with their computer core. And at first they don't know what it is, but it starts behaving badly. Those, though, are just external reasons to focus on particular characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The The character plots are... Wesley realizes he is he's responsible for mm-hmm. the problems with the computer core, and we have this contrast going on between Dr. Paul Stubbs, who's presented as like a fifty seven year old Wesley mm-hmm. yes. he's like Wesley forty years in the future mm-hmm. and that means our central question is how is Wesley going to grow up and because Dr. Beverly is back, she's all concerned about. Is Wesley's progression as a young man going as it should, or is he, like, being too bookish and taking on too much responsibility? Shouldn't he be having fun and getting into trouble and stuff like that? Right. As this episode illustrates, though, he's got the trouble aspect really down. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> she, she needn't worry about that.
2: Well, in... Uh, you know, I mean, of course, in, this is where they retcon why Beverly was gone for season two. It wasn't because of contract problems or issues with the character. It was because she was at Starfleet Medical for a year, right? But left Wesley well, behind to do that. Which I mean, and, those are in the they, military. That's not out, out of the ordinary. That that does right. happen. And,
1: and and they had told us
2: that when she left, and they introduced Doctor Pulaski. Yeah, right. and then and, uh, uh, yeah, then Doctor Stubbs. If, if he looks familiar, if you're familiar with the TV sitcom Scrubs. He was like the lead doctor on that.
0: Oh, Stubbs was on Scrubs. Interesting. Yeah, Stubbs
2: was on Scrubs. <laughs> was he better there than he was here? Because he was I, I wasn't particularly happy with him in this episode. I, I'm not the biggest, I wasn't the biggest fan of Scrubs, but he, he was kind of the crotchety, arrogant, you know, mean doctor on it, well, I guess.
1: He's, he's, he does that here, sure.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Star Trek has this history of the, going back to the well of the the overconfident arrogant scientist who shows up and is uh put in his place by the crew of the enterprise or whatever ship he happens to be on usually enterprise i mean we just we just saw this not long ago with uh what kaminsky and the traveler you mm-hmm. know so it's oh just,
1: or you know all the way back to let's imprint our in our engrams on this new computer that'll yep. run your ship for you captain Dunsell. <laughs> right, exactly right.
0: or yeah or, or the uh, the the one with um the guy with the, the robots underground we just talked about on uh, the
1: original Dr. Series. Roger Corby.
0: Robert Roger Corby. Right. I mean, it's just, this is a standard lesson for Star Trek is, you know, beware of the limits of science and arrogant scientists. And so Well, especially
2: when they're, you know, the, the young prodigy like Daystrom was, like Stubbs is, you know, and that they've, right. they've, they've peaked early in their scientific expertise and now they're trying to recreate their career with their experience. Right, right.
1: Stubbs also, it, there's just so much irritation on the level of dialogue in this episode, like how Stubbs keeps referring to Wesley
2: as my young friend. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. It's like who talks like that
2: <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> right. All, all I, I could think of was the Emperor from Star Wars, my young apprentice. <laughs> yes, mm. yeah, it, it,
0: it's it very, it's very condescending and arrogant, and like just the yeah, it it's it's very. Writers write like that, but people don't talk like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Also, in terms of writing, so the core—now, in Star Trek, they're, like in other fiction, there are only a certain number of basic plots. But the basic plot that they have here is something is going wrong with the ship and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. And that's handled at least two other times in Next Generation. Oh, yeah. And better both times. It's handled, I don't know, a season or two later in the first Barkley episode, Hollow Pursuits, Mm -hmm. where instead of finding a systematic solution, it's like, wait, maybe we're just tracking something over the ship that's messing it up, which is a much more creative solution. And it's in the seventh series. What they do here is it's going to be nanites that are evolving, so an emergent form of technological life. But even that is done better in the seventh season with the episode Emergence where the Enterprise's technological systems somehow give rise to a new electronic form of life that, like this one, basically flies off at the end of the episode. But it's much more creatively done. You have that whole holodeck sequence with the train and getting to Vertiform City and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And so this is just really actually kind of boring by comparison.
0: And then there was the sentient robots that showed up back again in Lower Decks, uh, if you remember those ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were the exocomps, also, the exocomps, yep. yes. Yeah, the, the, it, is, it is not as satisfying here. I, I and I was as I'm watching it, and I was thinking about it later, I'm trying to figure out what is what is it about this problem and their tracking of it and the solution that just is unsatisfying to me. And I, I don't know if I could put my finger on it, but it, I mean, Wesley screws up badly and mm-hmm. pays no price for it, essentially, there's no discernible well, penalty for him
1: you know you create a new civilization as a result of screwing up. you kind of get a pass, i guess yep. <laughs> I guess he he's their their god creator <laughs> or something he's in their mythology uh well, in any case, and it's all because of Wesley's poor lab practices, so yes. as the episode begins, he's asleep in a in a in a med lab. Right, and he's been eating in the lab. He's got a partially consumed omelet right there Mm -hmm. on the table in front of him. Yes, note: do not eat in scientific laboratories. (laughs) This is this is completely against protocol. You can you can contaminate your stuff, and your stuff can contaminate you. So, Mm -hmm. eating—he's clearly has very lax laboratory discipline. Right there. And so it's no surprise that the nanites he's been experimenting with have escaped and started yep. reproducing.
0: Right, and he doesn't report it to anyone. He, he yeah, I mean, he's he's an immature, a mm-hmm. prodigy child. I mean, he's not. I I kind of blame Riker and Picard because they're not obviously not giving him enough supervision and enough well, well, oversight. Well, <laughs> even even Riker,
2: when when Wesley shows up on the bridge late, he just kind of does the little finger wag, you know, click, finger <laughs> yeah. wag at him and laughs. I mean, he he thinks it's funny. Right.
1: Well, uh, being late to your shift is bad, but yeah. I could excuse it for a 17-year-old, but eating in a lab, wow. Yes, yeah. that is very bad.
0: <laughs> so the the experiment that Stubbs is doing is, like you said, he's studying neutronium decay during a stellar explosion from a neutron star, and the star explodes every 196 years, like clockwork, like, and he even calls it old faithful
1: in space. Mm -hmm. and uh and this is the only you do know how neutron stars work okay i mean this is not unusual right there are a lot i mean he compares it to old faithful so that the audience will have a frame of reference but like guy this is every pulsar yes Mm -hmm. there are lots of things in space that work like clockwork
0: and so this is apparently the only star they know of that can that has the the right conditions that he needs for his experiment and so the the this is essentially a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him to uh, do this thing, which is apparently going to uh, be better than his prodigy thing that he did when he was a kid. Uh, we don't get
2: a whole lot more detail that, but he's so, so, I mean, it's
0: he's clearly some sort of celebrity scientist. Right. He had a, so, an authorized biography. So,
2: so, of course, we've got the, the ticking clock that data can tell you down to the tenth of a second, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we've got to make sure this gets done in time, which, spoilers, it does. Right, of course.
0: There's a whole bunch of uh, odd malfunctions. We don't have to get into the details of every single one of them. But there is a, an experiment package that they want to launch. That's this doctor, the doctor's thing called the egg. And that's this is the the MacGuffin, I suppose, of some, uh, in in one way of this episode. Yeah. And
1: the egg looks like a big exocomp, although mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really apparently a
2: virus quarantine thing from the episode The Child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, speaking of the malfunctions, though, I, I did like you know they had to turn off the power to the entire bridge to stop the uh, radio from playing John Philip Sousa.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, there was a, a couple of them were yeah a little uh, odd. But so we do have the uh, uh, this conversation between uh, Crusher and Picard about it being awkward for Wesley that his mother is on board and he's a junior officer. So. Uh, I, I can see that. That's that. That could be a- awkward. Like you know, your mom. Yeah. At least he's not living with her now. I mean, that's there is that he's got his own uh, quarters.
1: So I, I kept thinking of the song uh, by Violet Sedan Chair Hovercraft Mother. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, we we definitely get that at the end, but we'll get to that. Oh yes. Uh, Picard has a line that he says to Crusher, you know, when they're talking in the Ready Room, I know how difficult it was for you being away. And he gives her a look, and I'm like, Is that sort of a subtle thing meant for, you know, uh, Gates McFadden? You know, the I know it was tough for you being away for a year of contract. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, And so they have this conversation about Wesley not getting into enough trouble for a 17 year old, which I think is a weird thing to say. Yeah. But also, and then Stubbs has his talk about with Wesley about peaking and you'll never face a greater adversary than your own potential, uh, my young friend. Then uh, Stubbs is getting really antsy as the things are going wrong, and he he thinks Picard's playing it's too safe with these nanites infesting
1: the, the computer. Yeah, when Stubbs is clearly insane, because he <laughs> flat out says, and Troy says he's telling the truth, I would rather die than leave. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't, with all the malfunctions, if they don't get the egg launched and away in time, they will die when the when the big fireworks happen. Right, and it's like uh, I like Picard's response, which is very <laughs> understated. Yeah. I don't believe you speak for the majority of the crew.
0: <laughs> I like that line,
1: <laughs> which is a good line. But the whole "I'd rather die than leave." It's like you're clearly irrational. Yes, if that's if that's how you feel. I do like, even though he's really slimily arrogant the way he does it, I like the pushback he gives Deanna Troy. Yes. Because she's starting to do her emotional reading voodoo on him, and it's like, will you please get out of my head?
0: Turn off your beam into my soul. (laughs) Yeah, I will speak
1: for myself and disclose how much of what I'm feeling I want to. Don't be psychoanalyzing me here.
0: Well, mm. it's it's not even just like psychoanalyzing. She's like reading. I think it's kind of invasive. Like yeah. her yeah. empathic power is somewhat invasive and somewhat you know ethically problematic in some in some ways.
1: Very, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: but I, yeah, I like that too. I, I made a note of that one. You know, t- uh, I will share the feelings I wish to share. Thank you. So, yeah, Wesley ends up realizing that uh, that his, the, he's the, the cause of the problem, and. Um, the nanites he's been studying for advanced genetics got loose. They have gigabytes of mechanical computer memory. I have to laugh. (laughs) Yeah, so does this thumb drive I have.
1: I I like how he he talks about, I allowed two nanites to... So they're talking about evolution. Yes. And Mm -hmm. the subtext of this is... And mechanical systems could evolve. That's not, you know, a problem. They're going to be subject to random radiation changes like biological you know life forms so the idea of mechanical systems evolving is not at all implausible in fact that's how we get algorithms yes. mm-hmm, that run google and youtube and everything else they don't actually have a human programmer yeah. deciding every little change they make random changes in the algorithm and then see what delivers the best results they call it so, machine learning yeah machine learning but it's yeah. basically a form of evolution yes and so So I don't have a problem with the evolution thesis. But you notice it's two nanites that (laughs) that got away. And Wesley says, I allowed two nanites to interact for a school project. (laughs) And it's like, as an adult, there's a little bit of a subtext there. (laughs) Oh, Wesley, you
0: naughty boy.
2: (laughs) So Wesley ends up
0: talking to Guinan. And I like at the end of the conversation, Guinan says, yeah, you know, as he's leaving, West, do you think you're going to get a good grade on your project? And he says, not not boastfully or even just matter of factly. He says ruefully, I always get an A. Like it's almost like he's sad at the fact that he's so good at what he does, that he recognizes mm-hmm. that it doesn't challenge him enough and he and he gets lazy about things yeah. and thus ended up in the situation he's in. I thought that was kind of an interesting. Way to play that, and I'm going to guess that came from the director more so than from uh, uh, the actor Will Wheaton. Um, I don't but, know. He's, I mean, he's a good actor today. Yeah, yeah. no, no, yeah. But as, be, as young as he was, I'd be surprised if he's the one. But maybe he did. Maybe he came up with that. But uh, kudos to whoever did it. Was I thought that was a good a good way to play that. So, and then there's another scene where Stubbs and Wesley are chatting again because you know Stubbs is Wesley's mentor or something, and uh, they're talking about baseball. Mm -hmm. and how uh, baseball had been... This was our first mention, I think, in that we're in the 24th century that people don't play baseball like they used to. Right. And that becomes a much bigger deal on DS9. And how it was lost to impatience, a society that preferred faster games. And and then he talks about replaying games in his mind through statistics, which is something actually people do today. And uh, Stubbs gives this speech about baseball, which is apparently what got Michael Piller... A job on the writing staff after this, because Michael Berman, Berman, Michael, um, Rick, Rick, Rick. yes, Rick. I knew that was (laughs) Rick Berman was apparently a huge baseball fan. And and it's this line where it says, call your shot, point to a star. One great blast in the crowd rises. A brand new era in astrophysics postponed 196 years on account of rain. And, And that little speech is apparently what got Michael Piller a job. So.
2: Well, he, he, Michael Pillar was very much a, a baseball fan. He, any picture you yes. see of with him, he's always got a baseball hat on. You know, for I can't remember what team he's he supports, but you know, right. You know, he, very much that's that's kind of his big thing was baseball. Which, as right. a baseball fan, I appreciate. So,
1: <laughs> so I'm not at all a baseball fan or a sports fan, and so the initial speech kind of just went past me. But what I did like is mm-hmm. later on when Stubbs is in his is in his quarters preparing to be attacked by the nanites, he's he's sitting in a chair and to prep himself for being attacked by nanites, he's relaxing and playing one of the games in his head and they bring in, and he's talking a little bit out loud about the plays that he's Mm -hmm. imagining, and then you hear like the crack of a bat and the crowd noise Mm -hmm. added in in sound design. And so I thought the baseball fantasy in the quarters before being attacked by nanites was actually quite effective and i liked that
0: yeah. and it was based on a real game the f- yes. third and final game of the 1951 national league tiebreaker between the brooklyn dodgers and new york giants just before bobby thompson hit the shot heard around the world which is a famous uh oh, home run sure. winning the pennant for the giants and uh it was the first baseball game televised nationally Oh, a little, trivia. a little trivia for there okay uh but yeah i agree i thought that was a very effective uh sort of getting the sense of him being immersed and what it's like for him to replay the games in his head, you kind of feel like it. Uh,
1: and, and it helped right. me as a non-sports fan to make sense on a more emotional level of his earlier speech that kind of left me cold right. because yes. I didn't have a frame of reference for playing baseball games in your head in this way and this helped a bit. Yep. On another front in this episode, so apparently very early on, everybody gets ordered to quarters for yes. re- at some point and I maybe they said that on... Maybe they gave that order on screen and I just missed it, but all of a sudden Wesley and Guinan are in ten forward and it's empty and they're talking about staying in their quarters and stuff. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch of debate about whether about what to do about the nanites once they realize they're in the computer core and they're the problem. And I, I don't like what they do with Stubbs at this point in the episode because he's they want him to be the unsympathetic guy. Mm -hmm. So he has to come across as unsympathetic. But I agree with him. Nanites are toasters. Unplug them. Right. You know, just do it. But All this, oh, well, they might have intelligence. Anything might have intelligence. This is a brand (laughs) new computer system. No other... I mean, I know they've got data, but some basic thing that's just starting its evolution is not going to be close to consciousness. Right. So... I was... I was surprised that they didn't
0: bring up data as a, as a counter example yeah. like like data saying I'm essentially the same thing why did you, do, do, am I a toaster or something along those lines and I would I would like you I would disagree with that line but i I was kind mm-hmm. of surprised they didn't bring it up at all so yeah <laughs> well
1: the di- the difference is data is portraying is performing a useful function on the ship and these things are destroying your computer core Right exactly. and putting and, everybody at risk. <laughs> yeah. So I also I also like how when Doctor Beverly is you know defending the nanites, Stubbs again points out. Well, look, you're a doctor. How many viruses and bacteria have you destroyed in your life? That's, That's what it. we're talking about here. This is essentially a rogue computer virus. Yeah. Yes. You're a it's,
2: doctor. You destroy viruses all the time. It's a well, smart virus. I I had to laugh. I had to laugh, too, because, of course, they're talking about, you know, how how robust the Starfleet uh, computer cores are. There hasn't been a system wide malfunction in 79 years. You mean like last year with the Yamato blowing up because of the (laughs) Iconian virus? You mean like a, a system wide malfunction like that? Maybe? Or on the
0: uh, the original Enterprise with the the uh, the 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 Eutronic well, 70, computer
1: seventy nine years ago. But oh, that's right. I think, I that think that's what they're referring years. to. Actually, was that oh, okay, episode? Okay.
0: Yes, but there, yeah, it is a bit of a stretch to say there's been, you know, and Discovery, uh, yeah. but that's a whole other thing.
1: <laughs> so. so Stubbs goes rogue and shoots at the computer core and sterilizes the upper computer core of nanites. And that makes the nanites mad at him, which is the first sign that maybe these things are intelligent. So mm-hmm. we, we get Data trying to figure out a way to communicate with them. And just to give the nanites a human face, Data volunteers to be possessed by them.
0: That seems yep. like a and, really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with Worf in I this do case,
1: too. Where he says, if they're in control of a Starfleet officer, they're an even greater threat. Exactly. Especially Data. <laughs> you right. know, and so I mean he's like got superpowers. you don't want a possessed superman on your ship,
2: yeah, at least secure him down so he can't you know like get up and start attacking because right. of course You're, then they play up where the the nanites are so enlightened to yes, we forgive you for killing half of us,
0: yes, yeah, he apol- yeah Stubbs is apologizes to the nanites through data and says, "I'm at your mercy, um and the nanites they like, they offer to let them live, and they say, no, the ship has become too confining, we're we're going to leave. I'm not sure, you know, how they survive outside the, uh, I mean, on a well, planet's
1: surface. Oh, well, it, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, they don't need an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere. No.
0: I mean, it, it's if they have the, the, the stuff that they need to live on, the raw material that they... Silicon. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, they... No, they said something about like whatever the, the the computer cores are made of is the like it's not silicon, some other thing that they particularly like. So maybe the way they drop them off, uh,
2: yeah, has the planet it. is made up of it.
0: Stubbs apparently is very influential uh, scientist and uses his influence in the Federation to have a planet set aside for the Nanites, which is nice. And the the Nanites conveniently help rebuild the
1: computer core just in time, so that's convenient. And I so this is. I kind of keep track of what ending type are we heading for. Mm-hmm. And very early in this episode, it's it's the I, I, I have slouching towards a mutual understanding ending in my, <laughs> in my notes. Right. Because this is just inevitable, this trope. We've seen it over and over again on Star Trek. We can just overcome our differences by talking to each other and hug it out.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And this time they play it even less deftly because when they're talking to the nanites through the possessed data, they're explaining we're explorers and the nanites say we're exploring too, so aw shucks, they're just explorers too. <sighs> so <laughs> in in honor of this endless repetition of this Star Trek trope, I have written a poem in honor of this episode. Oh okay. <laughs> this poem is titled The Forty First Coming. And it is based on the poem The Second Coming by William Butler Yeats. And so here's how it goes. Things fall apart. The computer core cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the ship. And what rough plot its time come round once again slouches towards Geneva to be aired again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look up
0: the original folks to see the, the how clever that is. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> like... It's like just to a Geneva. <laughs> oh yes. So yeah, we, we end with happy, happy everybody holds hands, the
2: experiment goes off just they're, perfectly. They're Kumbaya as with <laughs> yeah. the computer core playing the music and
0: No, I have to say, of of all the parts of this episode, the, the part that I like the best is is this the, the the it's not conflict, but this this whatever's going on between Wesley and his mom and this relationship mm-hmm that they're having to negotiate. Because, Wesley, they've created this character who is the super genius prodigy, who's an a acting Starfleet officer, but who's also a kid, and mm-hmm. his mom. And that's going to be hard for both of them. And I like the idea of them trying to negotiate this, this situation they're in, uh, especially because, given that she's been gone for a year. So I did like that. At the end, Beverly does go to Guinan to talk about Wesley and her worries, and Guinan advisor that a mother shapes her child sometimes just by listening, which is true. Mm-hmm. Actually. Sometimes it, you, we spend a lot of time. We get used to talking at our little kids and having them listen. And then as they become teenagers, We've, we might have forgotten that now they're old enough
1: to listen to? They, they suddenly develop hearing problems as they get into their <laughs> older age.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, well, also, they want to be heard. They want, they're no yeah. longer little kids to be ordered about. Now they have a yeah. voice in that thing. But well, yes, I think we, also... all,
2: we all remember that growing up. But, but of course, yeah. you know, at the end, uh, you know, She's all worried about Wesley having friends and dating and all this stuff. And, of course, he walks in with a cute girl and there's a bunch of friends there that they're talking to. And it's like. Well,
0: she's initially pleased by this to see that yeah. he's got friends and a cute girl.
2: but Until until then, she's <laughs> like, now, who is this woman? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> who who, who, I who like is this that. girl? <laughs> I, I like that line. Gaino, oh, what yeah. do you
1: know about
2: this girl? Yes. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Very, very real. Let me tell you. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. oh, it's great. She has a friend. He has a friend. Who is she? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, there were some deleted scenes where Wesley interacts with some of the other young people on the ship uh, and with this girl among them. uh, And there's it becomes clear that he's not doing normal young person things uh, like which validates Beverly's concern. They ended up cutting that uh, perhaps for time. But uh, but that was
1: was so they could spend more time on all the other slowness. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And so that about, I mean, that about does it. Did, any other notes uh, on this episode that you guys want to uh, to mention, Father Corey?
2: No, I, although, the, you know, or jump into the third season to get away from bad episodes of the first season and jump right into a bad episode of the yeah. third season.
0: Yeah. wasn't <laughs> Well, yeah.
1: It's better than some first season episodes. It gets so a lot better. It gets, better.
0: A, l- it gets a, lot better. a lot
2: better. It's a lot better than
1: some episodes of the first season. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: yes. Jimmy, do you have any uh, further notes? Nope. I just had one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, there's a conversation between Troy and Stubbs at one point where she she does point out he has this practiced nonchalance that he does this polished self portrait that she says is stretched so tight that if it fails he'll snap. And he says, and he re- retorts, sometimes underneath a man's self portrait there's nothing at
1: all. And uh, yeah, like so. <laughs> um, it, that doesn't very... sound exactly self-flattering. Yeah, uh, or healthy. Yeah. I was going yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. to say, that sounds like he's agreeing with, yes, you're exactly right, that if if this self-portrait snaps, I'm done.
0: <laughs> it becomes clear that Stubbs is a very damaged man who needs some help. <laughs> who, who also
1: seems to be hitting on Troy in that scene, because he's doesn't telling he? her, like, when after this is all over, I'll take you to the moons of Meepsor, and we'll drink champagne and laugh about this. Yeah,
0: yeah, well, I think it's a it's a deflection. He's trying to deflect her, but which and she's not at all. She does not buying it. Oh,
1: sure, but it also sounds yeah. to me like he's hitting on her. Oh, yeah, yeah it, that's it really does. what I saw too. It's like it yeah.
0: it does. Yeah,
1: yeah, it did seem a little weird.
0: All right, let's. Uh, I think we wrap things up there. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including James B., D.W., Rebecca L. Helen G. and David H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. Now's a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Visit sqpn.com give today. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. And so that's it from us. What did you think of this episode, this Next Generation episode called Evolution? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. Next time we'll be discussing the Deep Space Nine episodes, The Way of the Warrior, parts one and two. Until then... Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Akin, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest.